and gentlemen, welcome to the most electrifying, must-listen-to podcast in sports entertainment. Welcome to FFC. I am your host, Damian Ellinghouse, accompanied as always by good friend and lover of blue southern states, Ryan Doyle. How are you, sir? I guess it would have been more appropriate to say Ryan, lover of coups, because we all love coups, don't we? Uh, like Ryan loves coups? coups. Like coups. Coups, coups? Yes. Coups? Because I know, I know coups in another sense if you watch The Sopranos. No, of course, we're talking about coup d'etats. Ah, coup. Oh, oh, coups. 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 Oh, of like, course. Yeah, with the, you see, with the, with the P. You know, I love me some good interactions for a uh, fat old 74 guy, you know? I just think it's a shame that we're all conspiring against daddy. And, uh, you know, I... I You're my bitches. I, I applaud the brave people that stood go up out, for the billionaire. Go out, my little millipedes. Go to the Belmore train station and simp for daddy. <laughs> Please simp. Uh, yes, it's been, it's been, uh, eventful. It's been an eventful couple of weeks here in the good old U.S. of A. Uh, you thought you're going to have the opportunity to talk about Jay White versus Ibushi? No. The next day it happened? Absolutely not. Not one time. Not for a second. Did not even get to soak it in. I think I texted you around lunchtime, if I'm correct. And then like 20 minutes later... The shit went down, and then we didn't talk about it for the rest of the week. <laughs> oh, man. And in the match, oh, and they're in the capital. So oh, I, we'll, we'll just talk about it later then. Uh, but yeah. but but I don't want to I don't want to piss off Twitter. I know nobody nobody's tuning in here to listen to the political takes. So, oh, yeah. Are many are many alt right fans that listen to us. <laughs> um, so so we'll just we'll just scooch right along. So we we've got a, a fun little ditty of an episode here. Now, of course, uh, we have to talk about Wrestle Kingdom 15 uh, pound for pound. Uh, one of the best Wrestle Kingdoms I've watched every year. I think they can't outdo themselves, and every year I'm wrong as shit, even in a pandemic, even when they can't make noise. And we'll talk about you know some other things, but today we're going to have our first ever mailbag session, which uh, I originally planned on having a fun name for, but didn't come up with one, so now th it's just this. It's just there. That's the segment. It's getting pushed, baby. It's called talk talking smack i don't know if that's trademarked or not but that's that's what i don't think so i think that's good that's right a good that's one. A, i think that's a good one yeah. talking smack yeah so we got our first ever talking smack here uh but first ryan what will you be imbibing this evening nice man ap english i like that i try <laughs> well i actually left the house the other day Good for you. In a good manner, too. Not in like a bad, like, oh, I want to party with like, you know, 90 people in my friend's garage. No, I decided to take a little trip on down to Lindenhurst, New York uh, to finally check out a brewery I had my eye on, but I just never really got the chance to go to. But uh, yeah, 27A Brewing in Lindenhurst, Ooh, New York. I've heard of Have that. Have you? Yes, they're very, they're very good. Um. Uh, I went there with my lovely girlfriend, 
and we sampled a few beers. I tried to get as many um, of the stouts that I could. They had like three different stouts on uh, on the menu. Uh, their main, I guess, their most famous beer. Yeah, their Italian cookie one. You know the the, the th- you know the tricolor Italian cookies. I love rainbow cookies. Of course, any self-respecting New Yorker knows and loves exactly what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, dude, tasted exactly like it. It was quite awesome. I got two. Hmm. And uh, yeah, it was really good. Uh, every every stat that I had there was really on point. But I also had another one, and that was what I'm holding in my hand right now, and that's Holidays. And Holidays is a double dry hopped, double India pale ale. It's a collaboration with Point Eat Surf Brewery. It's an eight percent, and it's a good, it's a good guy. That sounds fun. I have a familiar but special little ditty here. I've got the highly acclaimed founders, KBS. Nice. One of my favorites. Uh, now, this specific one is... Oh. Which year is this one from? This is a 2019. Okay, so this one's clocking in at 12.2%. And what we've got here is an imperial stout brewed with a massive amount of coffee and chocolates, then cave-aged in dark bourbon barrels for an entire year to make sure wonderful bourbon undertones come through in the finish. It makes your taste buds squeal with delight. And You know, I'm not even drinking this, and I, I'm more excited for you to have this than I am to drink my own beer. Right? I would hope so. And, and as I said, it comes highly acclaimed. Acclaimed is, is what it comes. It's, it's an acclaimed beer. Dude, honestly, KBS fucking rules. When I started, like you know, getting into all my uh, my beer debauchery, one of the first ones I was told to have was KBS. And, you know, it's been, it's been sort of like a uh, not a mythical, but like you know, a very popular name. Like you know, like on the same tier as like you know, Delirium is, or like you know, uh, any like Julius from Treehouse. Like you know, one of those, one of those gold bear standards. I'm not happy with you for letting that uh, the acclaimed reference just go without any follow up right now. What are you talking about? It, it, it was acclaimed. I was making an acclaimed thing like Max Caster and, and Anthony Bowen. Oh, like, like oh of course. You know, that's Silly why, me. Why would you think I was just having a fucking stroke and I was just saying the same word? Over you and over? didn't name my favorite beer. It's like, what, dude, it's a fucking analogy. What do you want me to do? I want you to react. <laughs> it's a podcast. That's react. Uh. Uh, oh, whatever. I'm just gonna open it. Mazel tov. Mazel. Oh, that went everywhere. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they can write on site, so I guess that was a little uh, canned too well. They gave Good you job. a little bit of little bit of force in that guy. A little force. So uh, we sip. You have to be careful about this one. You get fucked up by the end of this. She's twelve point two, man. Twelve point two. Uh and this this is a this is a special cut from uh good friend Travis Gentile's uh fridge where he has a, several hundred. 
the Travis collection? The 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 finest, oh, only the finest of KBS cuts. The Travis collection is one of my favorites. So there's always a good surprise in there. I guess I guess it was. It, it's probably not right for me to name drop that in case there's anyone out there who's planning like a massive KBS heist. <laughs> you revealed my <laughs> secrets. <laughs> Might as well have come on air and told everybody Bruce Wayne is Batman. What are you doing here? Uh, all right, so. To get straight into it, uh, Wrestle Kingdom 15. Now, this, as we mentioned, right, the second of the two-night affairs for the Wrestle Kingdoms, uh, the January 4th Tokyo Dome show. And I watched this one live. I woke up at 2 a.m. The first night I got one hour of sleep. The second one I got four hours of sleep. And then I just powered on through but i gotta tell you it wasn't even that hard to stay awake because the action was great despite how fucking um quiet the crowd had to be and all of this in the middle of tokyo being under a state of emergency too so that's that's fun was this your first time uh staying up late to watch wrestle kingdom uh no i think i did it last year as well um but it's cool honestly i wish they did it on friday instead of monday and tuesday but uh I'm certainly not going to tell them how to schedule during all this. January so. 4th is January 4th. But it's kind of weird. Yeah, I guess that's really what this comes down to. It's just always going to be on January 4th, Forever. right? 4th and 5th. Is there a particular, is there a reason it was just always on January 4th? I don't know. I, I'm sure I, I'm sure there was a reason that they picked that date, but it just, that's just what the it's first Anoki's one was. It's favorite day of the year. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's just what the first one was. And, you know, it's right after the new year. It just probably okay. made sense for them. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, what a what a show uh, from top to bottom, you know, uh, only like one or two somewhat forgettable matches. But uh, considering, you know, what they've had to go through this year, uh, it was really, really special. Um, you know, the quick spark notes of it, uh, Hiromu Takahashi beating El Phantasmo night one to uh, have the right to face Taji Ishimori, IWGP junior heavyweight champion on night two. Uh, LP is a dick, man. He's gonna pull out a fucking <laughs> Styles Clash. Are you kidding? Me? That's that's his whole thing, man. He d- he does that. He does the uh, Bloody Sunday. He, he 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 and he always goes for the V Trigger One Winged Angel, but he's never hit a One Winged Angel before. Uh, and he also has been like lace. He's he's been like putting something in his boot, and like so his finisher has been a super kick. And the first time I saw it when he came back, I was like, whoa. He, he finished a match with a super kick. That's kind of fucking crazy. But he he hides things in his boots. Um, pe- <laughs> people didn't love that match. They thought it was a little sloppy. I thought it had some fun spots. You know, I've seen better from both of them, but uh, I thought it was a nice tone setter. Um, and, you know, it was all just to get Hiromu tonight, too, anyway. So it is what it is. Um, it served its purpose. It served its purpose. Uh Kenta going over Satoshi Kojima in a really great hard hitting. If I told you Kojima could still go, right? Yeah, you called him. He's a New Japan dad, I believe. He's one of the New Japan dads. That's right, dude. I mean, like everybody's a sucker for that. I mean, especially like you know, New Japan was a different product like a decade ago. A little like a little after that, so it's kind of like you know, an old acclamation to. To that timeline and you know i mean what do we have that in wwe like i guess randy orton yeah it's it's just different because like the old guys at some point just 
they they just stop showing up. Whereas New Japan, they kind of like yeah. will show up, but just earlier on in the card. I, I like it. It, it, it. It's good to see. You love to see some of the older guys. Yeah, for sure. And Kojima could absolutely still go. And him and Kenta's style worked really well together. So uh, it was great to see. Uh, the Grills of Destiny took the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championships away from the Dangerous Techers, cheating little bastards that they are. Fucking Tamatanga stealing uh, Taichi's iron glove over here. Very fucked up. Um, very upset. But this is all, I'm telling you, Suzuki Goon's going to go face. They're all really tweeners at this point, and I love to see it. Um, it was a great match, too. Either they're going to go face, but just being like assholes the entire time. I think they're just going to be like, beat the shit out of you faces is I think like how this is going to go. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, and then Hiroshi Tanahashi defeating great Okan, which honestly I was surprised about. Um, but I, it made my heart happy and great Okan still got a great rub. Mm -hmm. He's looked great now against Tana and Okada. Um, certainly no shame in losing to them this early in your career, but I think he's got a promising future, and I think yeah. he's a really good building piece uh, for the Empire. And going straight to the Empire, Woo! that Okada Osprey match was just like that's how you do a fucking blow off match right there, um, top to bottom. You know, Will Osprey, uh, a bit of a piece of shit in real life, right? But you know, we won't delve into the politics too much of it. We've we've said our pieces, but he's undeniable in the ring. Uh, the storytelling was great. And don't you just love seeing Big Match Okada again? I missed Big Match Okada. It's great. He's going to poise himself for a nice uh, a nice run within the next year. You think he might reclaim some of his uh, heelish ways? Okada? Yes. Um, I'm interested to see what we do from here. Um, I loved that when he went finally hit the Rainmaker, you know, it popped the crowd. The crowd not supposed to make noise, but... How could they not? It's the first time that they've seen a Rainmaker in literally yeah. 365 days um, or 364, probably. Uh, but just absolutely phenomenal all the way through. Um, and I'm very curious as to where both of them go from here, uh, especially with what we'll start setting up with New Year's Dash. And then, of course, the main event, Kota Ibushi versus Tetsuya Naito. I told you they were going to try to kill each other. And they did again. Uh, this, of course, for the double IWGP heavyweight and intercontinental championships. Uh, this was a 31 minute affair. Uh, really just terrific stuff. They have such great chemistry in the ring. And of course, my golden star going over and finally getting to the top of the mountain. Great, great match. Great moment. I loved Naito picking up the belts taking them, ripping them out of Red Shoes' hands and then shoving them, giving them to Kota himself. Um, what did you think of the match? It got off to a slow start, which I was kind of surprised about. Yeah, they um, like to do like groundwork in the beginning. Which is fine. They they can do whatever they want. I thought it was really good, man. Honestly. Uh, I, I was kind of, you know what I mean? I thought some screw shit was going to happen. I didn't think Gato was just going to go out, right, and give him Ibushi the belts, but he did. Uh, this part of the of the uh, night one and night two, but uh, you know they did the right thing. Naito should know what uh, I feel like. I feel like Ibushi and Naito are, are akin on the same level of like what they're going through in New Japan. You know what I mean? Definitely some similarities. Um, 
the biggest difference I would say is like Coda, and they work this into the story as well. Like Coda always had New Japan chasing him because he just like refused to sign a contract with him. Whereas Naito, you know, had it had the world immediately handed to him and then lost the crowd. So whereas Coda's always been a crowd favorite, Naito really had to like reinvent himself to get there. But their their careers have intertwined. They're part of the club of 1982 with a couple of other wrestlers, uh, mm-hmm. you know, born in the same year. So they came up together in a lot of ways. And like the first time they met each other, I think it was like 2013 when Naito was still the Stardust genius. So um, a lot of really great history there. Um, overall, just a really good match. Good yeah, tone setter. For sure. And, you know, from my frame of reference, uh, I've seen the past five Wrestle Kingdoms. That one was certainly better than the, the Tanahashi Omega match for sure. Really? And, uh, That's an oh, interesting, yeah. interesting. I think so. Okay. I just think you know, like the, with the Tanahashi Omega match, you had like everybody knew what was going down, and you know there was like a certain air that just like, kind of took it away from me. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, you you kind of you didn't know for sure, but like the whole elite, like everybody lost that night, and like you kind of had a feeling what was happening. Um. For my money, personally, I would say the Tana Omega match was better. Um, but you're definitely right that this had a lot more like you don't really know what way it was going to go. And exactly. so it, it was and, and it was much less obvious than last year, where as much as you wanted Ibushi to go over Okada and have it be Naito versus him for the championships, you always knew it had to be Naito going over Okada. But so they like, were they were just they really they certainly they, they really me. did. They did. Um, so overall, night one, I was I was very happy with. But night two is really the star of the show here, right? First off, can we give a round of applause to the ace of New Japan, Toriano, back-to-back provisional KOPW 2021 trophy after getting into the final four from the Rumble the night before without even getting into the ring, giving the double O blows to chase Owens and bad luck folly and reclaiming his role. Now, I, I think that people are a little divided on like, you know, the KOPW uh, trophy, especially because it was kind of like Okada last year, just made it for himself. But I really love the uh, different stipulation for each match. And honestly, Yano is probably the right guy for it because he's just so good in these gimmick matches. Uh, brings us to the, uh, probably uh, definitely the weakest match of the night uh, between El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru uh, versus Ryusuke Taguchi and Master Wato for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championships. Um, the match was fine. There was some really good stuff happening between Kanemaru and Taguchi. And, and you know, I del- uh, El Desperado and Kanemaru are so great together. But Wato had a few real bad botches um, and like... Yeah. He kind of looked blown rough. assignments in it. Like it, it just, and, and it, it, I feel bad for him because like commentary brought this up the next night as well. And like really hammered it home that whereas, uh, great O'Conn looked really comfortable in the limelight and, you know, grabbed, seized his moment and, and went for it. Master Watto has a shit ton of talent. And, and personally the whole like kind of weird drunken master gimmick thing is fun for me. And I think his moveset is unique, but it is clear that he's not quite there yet. Um, and you did see that in the best of super juniors as well. But 
I think he's he's on the the way up, you know. Yeah, I think uh, Desperado and Kanemaru like work really well together. So, I mean, your mistakes against them are going to be a little bit exacerbated as it was yeah. with Wato. Especially with a team that they didn't team up together. And uh, Despy was the first guy to attack Master Wato when he came back from Excursion. But, yeah. you know, exactly that. The chemistry T- just, it wasn't there. Right. Takuchi was, is like a true vet, too. So yeah. it kind of reminded me like one of those like throwaway like Monday Night Raw matches when they pair a veteran with like some other guy and they form a tag team out of it against like an yeah. actual tag team. You're yeah. not going to look good. So exactly. I mean, the cards were stacked against him to the beginning, but it was a fine match. I didn't really, it was fine. Know. It was fine. Suzuki Goon retained. It was the right move. Uh, it is what it was. But then you got to, I mean, it, you can't call it match of the night, but. Uh, Shingo versus Jeff Cobb for the never open weight. Boy, what a fucking match that was. Every Shingo match that I've watched this year, uh, each one gets better and better for me. He's so good. Like, He's seriously. He's so good. You um, know, I mean, there's probably like five guys I would list ahead of him of like who I'd be excited to see a New Japan match. Uh, he's, he's crawling up that list, man. I I think pound for pound Shingo is perhaps the best dude in New Japan. I say that with not even a shred of hyperbole. Shingo is ready for the main event whenever the fuck they feel like putting him in the main event. He's the former ace of Dragon Gate. Uh, I, I, I love it. And Jeff Cobb, easily the best match he's had in a New Japan ring thus far. And this is coming off of a good G1. This this was a a good 365 days for Jeff Cobb in New Japan, and I'm happy for him. Yeah, it was almost like a reintroduction, so to speak. You know, I mean, he's been active, like you said, for the year. But like, you know, like on a grand stage like this, it's like, you know. Absolutely. Here I am. Get ready to uh, fucking deal with me down the road. And once again, I mean, the Empire, right? We got some hosses in there right now, but uh, Osprey, Cobb, the way he's working right now, and Great O'Con on the way up, there's a lot to look forward to. And the Empire all lost their matches, um, but looking great. All of them looking great in defeat. And, uh, you know, Shingo is really helping to elevate the Never, which has really just become known for these types of bruising matches. Uh, Sonata versus Evil, disappointing. Yeah. The built-in chemistry to this match, and like you said, like, you know, Sonata's been kind of, like, indifferent to shit. But at the same time, you think that, like, you know, this would just be, like, like ready to go. Like, Michaels, Bret Hart, like, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn. But, like, not mm-hmm. really in this situation. It, and it, it bothered me because the lead-up with Sonata flipping on Evil and just, like, really showing an edge had me excited for this match. And then even yeah. commentary said, you know, Sonata wrestling his style and proving that, you know, he can win with his style. And uh, I don't know, man, evil evil's whole thing right now with Dick Togo, just like the amount of fuckery that they do is really like not particularly interesting. It's not needed. It's not, especially for him. And, you know, they launched him in like this mega heel run for the summer. And I don't know whether or not that was like a, like a placeholder kind of storyline until they got things really going for uh, Wrestle Kingdom. But uh, yeah. I, my, one of my friends told me that this was something that they should have done two years ago between the two of them, and I'm kind of inclined to agree. But uh, yeah, not really uh, not really hyped for this one. Now, it was, it was a fine match, but it never, ever left the first gear, and that is a disappointment. 
but then uh, Hiromu Takahashi versus Taji Ishimori. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Hiromu Takahashi versus Taji Ishimori. There you the go. IWGP. Yay. <laughs> yay. Yay. Go me. I could say foreign names. For the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Main eventing. The Junior Belt main eventing Wrestle Kingdom Night 2. And this was, uh, for me, a really excellent, excellent match. 25 yeah. minutes of some real stiff shit. Ishimori, I loved that whole part at the end with uh, Hiromu just continuing to run into Ishimori's elbows and Ishimori just leveling him over and over and over again. Um, it is unfortunate that Ishimori's reign only lasted like less than half a year with no defenses. Um that that is unfortunate because Ishimori is one of the best in the biz. Um, it, I think Takahashi is just completely unstoppable within the yeah. last year, and he's just an unfortunate casualty of it. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I would say this match was on par with the Jingo Stadium match, um, but you know, like you said, Hiromu is just such a fucking superstar, and. Yo, has there ever is there another person on this roster that you can look at that these opportunities are given to them and these matches are given to them and they just fucking kill it like he does? Dude, like I I gotta tell you, and and he is so fucking charismatic. He is one of those dudes that it doesn't matter what language he speaks, what country he works in, where he goes, that dude just oozes charisma and his in-ring work is so fucking good and like you said there is nobody i think on this roster you know the only people i can really think of that you can like without a doubt trust like whatever position you put them in they're gonna deliver okada abushi naito jay white and hiromu yeah, Honestly. I, I guess that I should have framed that question more so like excluding the upper echelon of like title holders right now. But like in terms of guys like, you know, ready to break that glass ceiling, he's going to be the first one. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I really do. I think that Hiromu has a really serious if they continue doing two night Wrestle Kingdoms, I could completely see a, a Hiromu Takahashi match main eventing a Wrestle Kingdom. Especially if they do what, well, we'll talk about it. But if things go the way that the champion wants them to, uh, I could definitely see Takahashi main eventing. Hell yeah. And dude, honestly, one of my uh, favorites are the G1. That's, you know, Absolutely. and a junior has obviously never even gotten to the finals, I don't think. Um, but yeah, the way, the, the way that they're shooting him up, he could be the first junior to ever get to a G1 finals for sure. He, I, think I think he's he, totally exceeded that level, man. I mean, like, I think they're, he's yeah. just, for all intents and purposes, they just stick him in the junior division. But I think he's way beyond that. And I think that, and he really has taken up Liger's mantle of, like, wanting to be a junior his whole career, specifically to elevate the junior division. Um, okay. Could, but yeah. he could absolutely be a heavyweight. He's strong enough. Like he's he's not that small. Um, he bulks up a little bit. He's a heavyweight, no problem. But Hiromu has said that he doesn't want to use the juniors as a stepping stone like a lot of other people have, and he usually levels that at like Osprey and and Kenny Omega and just all these other guys that have moved up. Right. Um. Yeah. A hundred percent. Uh. And then of course it brings us to 
the end of the night, Kota Ibushi walking into Wrestle Kingdom as champion versus Jay White in a 48-minute longest main event in the history of Wrestle Kingdom and in by my money, the greatest main event I have ever seen. Maybe period. Honestly. Wow. This was... I have never seen a match with so much on the line for both competitors, just so well worked, their storylines interweaving for multiple years. This is like the pinnacle of why you watch NJPW is for storylines like this. And this match just, you know, a lot of people talked about how the 30 minute mark got called and everyone was like, whoa, wait, what the fuck? It's been 30 minutes already. It just flew by. And I don't have a I don't have a mean thing to say about this match. This is one of the greatest matches I have ever seen. Period. They're really good at writing character arcs to like where, you know, these could be featured in like award winning shows, man, honestly. Like hundred percent. Yeah, you, that's a great way of putting it. Like both men had tremendous amounts on the line you know uh ibushi establishing himself as the man who cannot die and like will not be held back and claiming his glory uh jay white yeah jay white committing this grand heist like this and like you know he's like i gotta deliver on this or i'm gonna look fucking stupid and uh jay white gave it his all dude i mean the man the man was just like he had to lie down at one point. He was just like, I can't, I, I don't know what else to do. There's no stopping it, this guy. And, and this was the murder of Bushi that I've always wanted to see in a match because usually you only get a minute or two of murder of Bushi and then we go right on. But the minute that Jay White put those boots on him and you just saw the face drop and Chris Charlton, who I cannot say enough good things about on commentary, uh, he's so good doing live translation, speaking fluent Japanese, uh, having s- just like this encyclopedic knowledge of everybody in the ring and where they've been in their careers. Just so good helping to elevate that match alongside Kevin Kelly and Rocky, uh, who I always love having Rocky there as well. Really miss Gino Gambino. But points aside, when when Koda's face just dropped and Murder Ibushi showed up, it was even more devastating than against Okada. And it was just, it was everything I've always wanted from that side of his persona. And like you said, just a man that will not be denied. He is on this quest and Jay White has tried at every, every point to stop him from becoming God. And there was no stopping him. The, the, the shot of Gato going after Coda and then Coda just grabbing his wrist and just smirking at him before like hitting the combo. Oh, it was great. I, the entire fucking two nights, I was like, where's my Gato spot? Where's my Gato spot? And there, and it, there is. it was, <laughs> uh, just, and, and like you said, Jay white, uh, now I am someone that thinks Jay white has been the best heel in the world for a couple years now, but this is it, the man could retire literally right now. And this would be just, what a magnum opus just so fucking incredible i loved you know towards the the end of the match when jay had coda outside and he was just slamming him into the ring and then the railing and just going fuck you fuck you fuck you just 
and and especially him having Ibushi in the TTO and Ibushi just crawling his way to the ropes and Jay just on the verge of tears begging him to tap before just phenomenal phenomenal stuff Kota Ibushi wins Kota Ibushi leaves Wrestle Kingdom walking up the ramp as champion two nights in a row something that's never been done before that Naito wanted to do I feel bad for Naito that his reign so deserved for so long was the sacrificial lamb throughout this year but at least he got it back you know what I mean yeah you know he was able to have somewhat of a proper run with it towards the end of the year yeah we thought he was going to be screwed out of it immediately following the last Wrestle Kingdom when Kenta attacked him. So at least he got this. I don't think this will be his last title run. But let me ask you, will Jay White ever win the belt back? And so this leads us to Jay White cutting a promo right after the match. That is, I'm using what seems like a lot of hyperbole here, but I... Everybody, I don't even care if you watch this match or not. Go and find Jay White's comments immediately after. The promo he cuts in the back is one of the most incredible promos I have ever seen. And from a heel, no less. Jay literally having a mental breakdown in the back, talking about how he sacrificed seven years of his life for this. And what is it for? And he always is right. And now he's wrong. And everyone's just eating it up, begging, screaming at the reporters fucking somebody help me why won't somebody help me and drops one of the hardest lines i've ever heard in a promo jay tears basically streaming down his face going you want to talk to switchblade jay white i'm sorry only person here is jamie using his shoot name just showing that he's got nothing left in the tank just it's beyond if it was it was really just incredible acting from jay And it leads directly into him saying, I don't know where I go from here. Maybe I need to go somewhere else. Maybe I should just fucking retire. And the next night at New Year's Dash, he takes a pin from Ishii. Uh, Now there have been a lot of rumors. People thought Jay White. (laughs) There sure have. Uh, Jay had informed AEW that he had signed a seven-year deal last year. Rumors now coming out that he's actually set his contract set to expire in a month and that WWE is making a very, very strong push for him and that it is legitimately 50-50 on where he goes from here. I'm pretty sure he lives in Florida. He does. Um, Who is he dating? Is he dating Tony Storm? Is he dating Tony Storm? Really? Fucking lucky son of a bitch if he is. (laughs) That's cool. I think so. uh, Uh, I don't know, but he definitely lives in Florida. Oh, that would definitely be interesting. Um, So, yeah, he just, he doesn't fucking know. And if this is the promo that he cuts and the match that he cuts before leaving New Japan, it would be like, what a fucking way to leave a company. But I don't think anything would make me sadder than Jay White leaving New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, And I don't even want to go all fed bad here. I mean, I will because fed bad. Uh I don't I, Jay White. I, I'm sure that even WWE would know what to do with Jay White. He's a little bit impossible to fuck up with. And he's he's such a high level performer at this point And so young. But well, here's the thing. What is he doing? Is he going? What is he doing to NXT? No, see, like Jay. No, no, no. We see we say this. We say that. No, he does not deserve to go on NXT and he needs to fucking come out number 30 at the Rumble and fuck shit up. But. Hasn't certainly gone that way. And 
what makes me hesitant on that is that like they barely even wanted to give that to AJ Styles, who was a fucking established name throughout the True. American wrestling scene for the last 10 years prior to any debut in WWE. That's and it true. still took fucking pulling Vince's arm to do that. Do I see it him doing that with Jay White? Uh I don't know. Not that Jay White wouldn't be fucking awesome in NXT, don't get me wrong, but I mean the man like at this, at this point like went through his fucking NXT, you know what I mean? <laughs> that I, that's that's really very fair and even like AJ debuted uh, he was 38 years old. Jay 10 years his prior were he to show up in WWE. But for me it's not even so much about WWE would fuck him up, which to be clear, like I I would certainly fucking have my concerns. It's really more that like this is a story arc I want to see playing out in New Japan. And I feel that it is the place where Jay White can best utilize his character. Um because yeah, Jay doesn't need Bullet Club, but he, he I doesn't. want him but I want him to interact. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Uh he certainly transcended above where he was in the last two years. Uh, I don't want a sad boy Okada dying his hair red. Like I lost everything and like, I need to get my moxie back. I don't need that from him, but uh, I don't think it's, I don't think his departure is soon. Let's put it that way. I really, I hope not. And, and in the interest of being equal opportunity here, I also don't want him in AEW. Except, I really no, like, right. and we should have prefaced this, discussing it because like you know like aha wwe shucks but no he would just be another spoke in the wheel on AEW too so i mean if that is the case for both major companies in north america right now you might as well keep him on new japan yeah i agree i like if you had to twist my arm i guess i'd rather him go to AEW if for no other reason than like AEW is crowded, but WWE is overcrowded by like several magnitudes. Yeah, WWE has some things to figure out. You know what I mean? Um, so like, sure, I guess I'd rather him go to AEW than WWE, but I really just, I just want of him course. to stay in New Japan. Um, so anyway, for, yeah, you know, what, I do hope what, he, I do hope he comes over though. Once once again, you know, uh, I say I'm not going to spend that much time talking about New Japan, and I promptly talk for a half an hour straight about it, but. Uh, folks, th I'm telling you this night too, that main event is unmissable wrestling regardless of, and if that had a hot crowd, if that had a hot crowd, I don't even know how many stars you'd give it. But even with a dead silent crowd, just mm -hmm. clapping and stomping, that is just one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. And new Japan pro wrestling at its fucking finest wrestling at its finest. Um, Kudos to fucking New Japan. And at the New Year's Dash, set up a couple of, of fun feuds. Um, you're going to see Shingo. Shingo and Tana look like they're going to be warring over the never, which I'm all fucking here for. Um, the six-man belts will likely get uh, defended soon. That was not on Wrestle Kingdom. I feel bad for Ishii and Goto, but you know what are you going to do? And Yoshihashi. Um, the junior belt looks like Hiromu will be looking at show, I believe, for a feud, which is going to be money. Um, the juniors, fuck, there, you know what? There was somebody that the junior, oh, uh, it looks like the juniors will be going after LP and Taiji Mori. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I love more heel on heel shit. Um, and Coda. We'll be looking at Sonata for his first defense, which, uh, you know, they've got good chemistry. They obviously their G1 match was solid, but 
I don't know. Let's hope we see more out of Sonata. So anyway, good, good year, good start to the year for New Japan. And then real quick before we move on to our main segment for the night, we'll we'll talk about the Rumble when in our next episode. So I'll be right before. But uh, everybody, congratulate your two-time tag team champions, Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode. Ah, ah, boo. Who beat the Street Profits for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships? I don't fucking care. Like, why are they? <sighs> Whatever. Who cares? <laughs> um. Oh. 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 And and I'm sorry, guys. Uh. Uh. Goldberg. Gold. Goldberg Yay! Is, is back. Yay. Um, <laughs> I understand he's a draw. I get that. Honestly, like I. I I understand, but like just as a wrestling fan, I could not be less fucking interested in a Goldberg Drew McIntyre match. I just I Dude, could not want it any have less. Him, have him fucking take the eighteen hour plane ride to Saudi Arabia, man. Like I don't <laughs> I don't need it. I don't fucking it's, care. Like, okay. like yeah. Gives a shit. Even like even like the biggest Goldberg fans are just like, all right, well, I guess he's gonna lose, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, great. That's, I uh, fucking loved him when he came back and he beat Brock Lesnar. Like, that was cool. Even, like, his little redemption arc after that, too. That was cool, too. But, like, there's and nothing And then he went left. over on Kevin Owens. There's nothing left to say. You know? Why did he go over on Kevin Owens? Kevin Owens is fat. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, fucking, like, it's stupid. It it, it ran its course. I don't care. Yeah. <sighs> give a shit uh and 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 at rumble you're gonna see roman reigns versus adam pierce which is actually super interesting because scrap daddy i had no idea that adam pierce was a five-time nwa champion well let's save that let's save that we'll save that that. we'll we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about adam pierce go go watch the gauntlet match from smackdown because nakamura is back baby uh i'm hyped thank god dude jesus christ like i get it he loves fucking surfing and like doesn't really want to Big place in WWE, but God damn it, dude. Like, you're not going to have this guy forever. Utilize yeah, him. For sure. Uh, okay. Well, I've wasted everyone's time enough uh, waxing poetic about uh, Japanese wrestling. Again, Damien in so. New Japan. Damien in New yeah. Japan. <laughs> uh, I, I told everybody after the, the last episode that it wasn't going to be as much of me doing that. And then here we are again. So, well, like for well, realsies this time, because I don't. Well, once the welcome, next time we're going to talk about New Japan. Welcome to filthy fucking weeabos <laughs> or filthy fucking gaijin. I don't know. One of them is better. Okay. So segment for tonight, talking smack. First time that those two words have ever been combined in a talk show together. Talking smack here. Uh, we're going to do a mailbag segment. We've, we've got some faithful listeners that have some questions, some comments and some concerns, and we are going to read them live ish on the air ish. My baby just wrote me a letter. Um, Ryan, why don't we start with uh with with one that somebody sent you? All right, so let's bridge exactly what we were just talking about to make everything a nice congruent flow here, because you know that's what we love to do. We do. All right, this question is sent in to us by Anthony from Merrick. Anthony from Merrick, what's up, baby? You're on 94. Hot 97. How do you feel they should portray Adam Pierce facing for the title? A stooge or a legit contender? So this is a fair question because I 
did not know really who Adam Pierce was. And so I feel like you'd be hard pressed to find many casual fans that know who the fuck Adam Pierce is, even like some people that watch a lot of wrestling. I don't think it pays to have him be presented as a stooge, though, because like obviously there's a storyline here and like. Well, you know what? Let me get your take first. Let me let me get your take first. So, yeah, I'm a sucker for this type of story. I don't think it's going to go the route of like Michael Cole facing Jerry Lawler. and He just looks absolutely stupid in the ring. I mean, first and foremost, this guy, like whether or not they've officially recognized it, him and Pat Buck are like the authority figures backstage, even though they kind of separated themselves with those type of storylines, which is good. I love like this William Regal like type figure. I'd rather have that as just like this constant guy throughout the back. Uh, he certainly didn't picture himself in this position. Now, what would I would do personally? Scrap Daddy Anna Pierce, man. This dude's a five-time NWA champion. And whether or not you want to look at that as pre-Corgan uh, NWA and whether or not that really counts to you, because it kind of wasn't legitimate. It was kind of just like a travel like indie show for a couple of years, as we talked about in the past. It's still a prestigious belt. And that guy mm-hmm. won it five times. And they, they, I don't think this is like, you know, WWE's like, oh yeah, we said NWA, we don't have to say it ever again. I think it's just like incompetency on their end because they, they have mentioned NWA in the past and then they don't mention it in other t- occasions. Uh, like with R-Truth, they used to reference him as the NWA champion. Sorry, ex-NWA champion. And, mm-hmm. uh, but they didn't even have to say NWA. They'd be like, hey, look, like, you know, Adam Pierce coming out the mic. He's just like, I know everybody expects me, you know, not to, you know, work hard tonight, but I've beaten Kevin Owens. I've beaten Daniel Bryan. And like, you know, he can go down the list of people he's beaten. And, uh, when he was wrestling in NWA, PWG, ROH. And, uh, ROH. Yeah. He has a lot of great matches, man. Like, I was reading up on some of the ROH diehards that absolutely love this guy. Um, the lazy route that they can do is just be like, uh, I'm just going to have, uh, what's his name? Fuck Damien Priest come up and just fight my place. But no, I think they're going to give him a match here. Uh, I'd love to see some quick count dusty finished bullshit and him just like grab the title, even if it's for like 15 minutes. Uh, but dude, I'm excited. Like expect, expect a decent match out of this guy. Yeah, I've I've never watched any of the of his other stuff, but like you said, you know he's faced Daniel Bryan back when he was Brian Danielson. He's he's faced a lot of, uh, he's he's taken on Blue Demon. He's tagged with Machine Gun Carl Anderson before. So yeah, he's 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 a guy. You know, it's been a few years since he's been active, but uh, I'd prefer he not get treated like a stooge. You know, he doesn't have to have. It can still be a squash, but you know, let him get a little bit of offense here. I think would make me happy with that. And obviously, the storyline here is is that. Adam Pierce made a match between Jey Uso and Kevin Owens after Kevin Owens lost in the steel cage. And so this is the way that Roman's going to get back at him. So, uh, you know, give him a small amount of fight and then let Roman, you know, beat the shit out of him. And then hopefully it leads to Nakamura uh, face Nakamura getting to take on Roman. So that'd be my take on it, too. Yeah. You know, let's let's see what happens. Um, That's a that's a great question, Anthony from Merrick. Thank you. Thank you for that. We'll have to meet you one day. Yeah, I, I hope I hope that you're uh, I hope that you're staying safe out there. Um, I don't know if this is relevant, but you know, I hope that you're I, I hope that you don't uh, have a sore throat ever. Uh, okay, so this one, a little bit of a multifaceted one here. This one comes from Noah from 
Asheville, North Carolina. Good old okay. Asheville. Good old Asheville. So Noah would like to know if the opportunity arose for either one of you to step into a ring with proper training and adequate rehearsal, would you? And has that ever been a legitimate entertained thought? And would you rather tag team or go against one another? Were you both wrestlers? Now, I can answer that for myself. You know, I've loved wrestling since I was a kid. And like, I don't think there was necessarily ever a moment where I was like, ooh, like I would love to make a career out of this. Right. Uh, But I did do a little bit of schoolyard wrestling in my days. And I do think sometimes it would be fun to like, you know, take a proper bump and like see what it felt like to like try to work a match because I have so much respect for like how difficult it must be to call any match, let alone like a high caliber, like high profile match. Uh, but it's it was never like a serious thing for me, no. Well, being the insane man that I am, I probably think about this every day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, dude, am I going to sit here and pretend to tell you like I ever thought I was going to be a wrestler? Yes. But like, you know, I understood like the physical like amount and like blood that you have to pour into the industry in order to be a good one. And I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. But if I'm going to sit here and tell you I wouldn't know how to sell, uh, that's a lie. I know how to fucking sell. And I'm very curious to see of like how much I would get down. Probably not a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, like, to answer the second part of Noah's question, I'd love to be in a tag team. Just like as like the, like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, he's going to tag me. He's going to tag me. Like the slow <laughs> crawl over and like the crowd's going nuts. And then he tags me and I get in. And I like Hulk up and shit like that. And I just get immediately just get obliterated. (laughs) Yeah, I I think tag team wrestling is is great. And I think uh, it would be swell to tag with Ryan. But also, you know, I I think I think it would be nice to tag because then eventually it can culminate with the podcast ending and everybody turns on one another. And we get a blood feud, a big 60 minute Iron Man, last man standing blow off match. So. Yeah, we, we tag and then we'll punch each other in the face later. Uh, he had a, a part C to his question also, which was, um, what, do, what do we think about the barrier to entry for people who have aspirations of specifically getting to WWE and trying to main event wrestling? Like, do we feel, how difficult do we feel it is compared to like breaking into other sports organizations? And while obviously this is a question that would be better answered by people that have actually been in the industry and worked the ins and outs, just like as a as an observer and as somebody that like pays attention to a lot of sports, if you very specifically, if your goal is like, I want to get to WWE and like main event WrestleMania, that is a tough fucking goal. That is a tough goal. Well, there's good news and bad news with that. The good news is you're probably in the best period since nearly 20 years ago Mm -hmm. where if you were in the wrestling business, regardless of what federation you're working for, and you have the skill set and you're a good worker, you have a chance to work pretty much anywhere you want. Yep, that's true. The bad news is you probably have a better chance of getting struck by lightning. And that's not (laughs) like, that's not to put down anybody's dream or anybody's goal. You do that, boo. You fucking chase that. But it same goes for any other sport. You know, even the fattest lineman on the New York City Jets. The New York City Jets. Oh, my God. Cut. <laughs> cut that. Why? What the fuck, man? Now I'm leaving that in, it's baby. It's the Jersey <laughs> Jets. 
They play your membership New Jersey card. in the shadows yeah. of New York City. All right. Even the fattest lineman for the Jets, man. Like, you know, that's a spot that's going to happen to one in 400,000 people, you know? Yeah. Work hard for it. I don't think that you should be going into uh, the industry as somebody as who's an up-and-comer and just immediately settling your sights on WWE. I think you're robbing yourself of uh, learning from individuals who don't work for there but are absolute sages of the craft. And, you know, you go back to any wrestler, even like the most, even the ones headlining WrestleMania, and you look at the people that train them and you're like, what? Like, you know... Yeah. Like some like you know the, these people learn from individuals like Norman Smiley man Norman Smiley was just a jobber on WCW to most of us but he's one of the most influential teachers in wrestling in this like you know modern era and you wouldn't expect that but a lot of guys are just like that man and and to your point about like good news bad news right the good news about if you very specifically like your goal is to get to WWE, that's the style you like, that's the promotion you want to work for. The good news is due to AEW's existence in the zeitgeist right now, due to uh, Japan being very viable for Gaijin, you know, COVID notwithstanding, like you said, prior to COVID, this has been the best uh, wrestling has ever done. And there's so many avenues. And as a result... You know, WWE, their, roast, their roster is bloated because they take every fucking talent they can get because they're afraid of anyone else getting them. But also, it's not the only place where top guys can go. So if you want to get to WWE, there's definitely a path and maybe easier than, you know, after the death of WCW when it was WWE or Japan and that was it. That's where you fucking go or you just are, you know, you stay on the indies forever um, or, you know, maybe you, you weasel your way into a contract at Impact. Um but, you know, and I will say this, um, when it comes to athletes in other sports, genetics plays so much of a role into that, depending on what sport you want to get into. And like you have to be in most of these sports, like unworldly in terms of like what you are. And it's not to say that you don't need that in wrestling and that that's not valued, because obviously Vince McMahon has a fucking look. So if you want to impress Vince, you better have a look. But. There is a role for almost any shape and size of wrestler as evidenced from people all the way from Hornswoggle to uh, Marco Stunt to Jungle Boy to Chad Gable. Like there's there's body types all over the place. Oh, um, you're right. And there's that, something that, for that, everybody. That's something like not in like an in that's new in our generation. That go, Like, you know, if you want to look like absolute shit and be beloved by the fans like Sandman is, then dude. <laughs> If you, you found can the right, work you in found, some way. Yeah, if you can work, man, and you, and you know, like, you know, the the wink and the nod to it all, then you're a legend. You know, I can even argue yeah. somebody at the absolute peak shredded physical form, you know, the fat guy that watched wrestling for 100 years would probably do a better job if he, you know, has the ability and skill work to do it, of course, too. Yeah. But if you give those guys those three those three things while the other guy is absolutely physically shredded, the guy who probably knows wrestling will probably get the job. For sure. So all in all, it's 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 tough for sure. And like if your goal is to get to Mania, yeah, you say you might as well be trying to get into the NFL yeah. and get into the Super Bowl. But Very much. uh if wrestling is able to come back post COVID as strong or stronger, 
then there are avenues for sure. And I would love to hear from people who are actually in the industry as to, you know, because again, this is from two observers with like limited to no uh, insight into how the industry works because it's a lot of politicking. It's a lot of busting your ass. And of course, for every, you know, for every guy that just breaks into wrestling and is, you know, comes out of nowhere, there's 10 million people more talented that never got it there. You know, it's kind of like trying to break into the music biz. So, uh, great questions. Chase that dream, though. Chase, Chase that, that dream. dream. Chase that dream. Don't let us despondent millennials fucking get you down. No, no, no. I'm I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'll buy your merch. All right, Ryan, what do we got? Cue up another. All right. Our next question comes from John in Uniondale. Okay, John, what's up? How you doing? John asks, besides Undertaker versus Mankind and Hell in a Cell, what are Mankind's top three matches during the Attitude Era? Hmm. That's a very Ryan-centric question. Um, but okay, well, let me Ryan, ask you, you when you think of Mick Foley matches, what do you think of besides Hell in a Cell? Well, it's hard to not think about Hell in a Cell, but um, I, don't, I don't fucking, what year was that? The year when he ended up, uh, when he was in the feud with Triple H, when he like turned back into Cactus, Cactus Jack. Jack. That was 2000. 2000. All right. Yeah. So like, that's, uh, that's a feud that I think about with Mick Foley. Um, that's definitely one of them. Absolutely. I would, I, that was definitely in my, uh, itinerary. And definitely, um, you know, I feel like you'd be hard pressed to think about mankind, Mick Foley, Cactus Jack. You'd be hard pressed to think about them without thinking about him and the rock. Of course. Right. Because I mean, I, I don't know if you could say that launched his career, but like that is by far his like career defining moment in his, in his that life. That has to be number one, right? I mean, like, I don't, what the fuck else? He literally like, he, in many ways, right? WCW incompetence aside, he fucking ended the Monday night wars when he beat the rock on a random fucking raw. And one guy that if you lined 10 wrestlers up in the beginning of the year and said, which one of these guys is going to end the Monday Night War? You're lying if you probably said Mick Foley. Oh, and there was yeah. nothing, I love I love me Mick, but I mean like, you know, it was just the, the matter, like you think about all the Mick Foley matches you watched over you know, your fandom, and then you gotta realize like how many times he lost, and it's almost every time, because the man is such good at like captivating audiences and like uh-huh. taking the loss, and like you just want him to fucking win, because he's a fucking everyman, you know what I mean? And that Albeit, was Tony Schiavone's whole fucking point, right. right? That's why he makes the famous call of like, I'm sure that's gonna put asses in seats, but it sure fucking did, didn't it? Oh yeah. Um, and Did they did they say three, or did they just say what, aside from Undertaker? No, uh, uh, did John say three? I think John said uh, top three. He did say top three. Okay, but so that's Um, two of them. How familiar are you with... Well, go on. Did you have another one? I feel... Well, I'm not like... See... And that's completely fine. His his career, right, was a little bit (laughs) before my time, right? Like a little... A little bit before my time, and because I'm not a massive hardcore guy, I feel like most of his best matches are things that I really didn't pay enough attention to. But um, he had a really great feud with Sabu in like ECW. That's great, man. Bring that shit up. It doesn't matter. It's still technically the Attitude Era, right? 
Yeah, 95, I think, right? Yeah. So, so maybe that. like a little bit before. I'll accept that. Um, because like him and Sabu had like a bunch of fucking matches all throughout. Like I think he had a bunch with like Sandman as well, but like that was like Cactus Jack at his fucking craziest. You know, that's that was like, I don't give a shit about what happens to me. You know, like for real. Um but I feel yeah, like and say my, those two say those two individuals' names in that type of match and like you'll be wary to find someone who isn't responding to that. Yeah, but I, I feel like for me, like Undertaker, Triple H, The Rock are like the three people that I think about most with Mick. What I'll say in particular, if you think the feud between Undertaker and Mankind begins and ends at that Hell in a Cell match, you are wrong as fuck. Because well, like, I had to get there, right? Yeah. One of my favorite feuds of all time is that one. Uh, the Buried Alive match from the In Your House. One of the first matches I can remember and is absolutely fucking awesome, man. Uh, another one was the the one of the many boiler room matches that they had, which is them just beating the shit at each other in like some backstage area of the arena. <laughs> Wet, fucking drippy red space, yeah. yeah. So I will definitely say that. I think, you know, if a lot of, one of the things that like I tell people to get into wrestling is just like, just follow one individual, just follow one feud, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then work your way up, especially with the Attitude Era, because like they were really, that's where the Attitude Era shines, man. You know, even the guy in the lowest fucking bottom mm-hmm. rung was getting a storyline something that you could follow and connect with one of the best attitude era storylines is undertaker versus mick foley mankind uh between 97 and 99 for sure um, good question john from you undertaker non-undertaker uh definitely the rock and like definitely triple h i mean it's not like he didn't have yeah. many outside of that you know, and like we're going to approach like Cactus Jack, dude, love territory. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, but, I mean, like after the Triple H Royal Rumble match, that was like his retirement. And, uh, you know, you can make the argument um, down the road with Randy Orton for sure. Yeah, like like in like the early 2000s, yeah, like his like SummerSlam Evolution match with Randy Orton. Yes, his SummerSlam match with... Uh, Ric Flair, fucking, that's a banger too, man. There's a lot of answers you can give, but certainly those top three individuals, uh, Undertaker, Mankind, sorry, Undertaker, Triple H, and The Rock. Yeah, I think those are those are good ones. That's, uh, that's another great question, John from Uniondale. Thank you for that. Um, okay, this one, let me pull it up. This one comes from uh, Gina in Astoria. Uh, I don't know who she is, but she sounds hot. Uh, <laughs> how many years do you think it will take for AEW's women's division to reflect its depth of talent? And see, that is a great question. And we, we talk about it a lot. We harp on it a lot. But that is the million-dollar question, right? That is a very very good, very deep, and very young roster. And I gotta tell you, they're like it is clear that AEW is trying to do a little bit more weekly, right? They're trying to have some extra people, right? Like Thunder Rosa, Serena Deeb kind of beefing with people. Britt Baker and Swole have been going at it for you. So, so it's not that there's nothing happening, but the simple fact that like Hikaru Shida shows up like maybe twice a month. Uh, 
and like very like like doesn't even have that many matches and like in two hours you maybe get one women's match is indicative of of to this day a massive problem there's no other way to go around it it's by far the weakest thing about AEW, without a doubt okay so here's the thing the short answer to that question not that long or not as long as you may think it will if you are are keen to the women's division in AEW. But that's not indicative on, or that's not on the roster itself. That's on yes. the way the show is written. Yes. Now, you know, I, I think women's wrestling has taken a grand leap forward in this decade. But at the same time, as Damian mentioned, you get one to two matches on every show. So you're, you have a limited time to work with here. There was a time in wrestling where the champion would only show up, you know, between, I guess, point A and point B would be after the last pay-per-view till four to six weeks later at the next pay-per-view. They would only show up like once or twice between that. And I don't ha- necessarily have a problem with that. I She lives in the States, obviously, right? Uh, yeah, because I, the whole reason like Riho isn't around. Yeah, and, like, a I lot think of she needs to be more of a fighting champion. Abaddon is cool. I wouldn't necessarily have her be scared of her if she's supposed to be a formidable champion. But, but I you know, get- I, I do. I liked the way they presented Abaddon, yeah. though, because she's fucking horrifying. Oh, no, sorry, no, no, nothing against her. I would just make my women's champion more stronger. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Regardless, yeah, I will give regardless. them credence because, like, I I was a hater on Britt Baker at first. They have done a good job with her to turning into like this. She's you know, incredible. She's incredible. Miz, yeah, like this Miz type heel. They did a good job by that. They're getting there. Um, but yeah, I mean, this smart in me could be like, Hey, they're never get to that point. But I mean, like they'll get there, give it a good three years. I mean, like we're still dealing with the show in its infancy and yeah, yeah we connect with all the guys cause we watch them when they're new Japan, whether on the Indies, whether in WWE, like we watch them grow. So we, we understand the basis of a lot of these guys, but it's hard with women's wrestling because you know, me and Damien are used to fucking as I hate to say, like, you know, we're used to bra and panty matches for like a good decade of this. So we're only being exposed to good women's wrestling writing in the last 10 years. So again, d- yeah. just give it time. It will get there. Um, I, I think that's probably a, 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 I think that's like a very nice, but like fair answer to AEW because, you know, a lot of these women didn't necessarily come from like years and years and years of wrestling prior. It's not to say none of them did. Um, but a lot of them are fairly green. But even with that, you know, aside from the way that the show is structured, like I really wouldn't mind more episodes where like you had more of a focus on women's storylines. And that is a booking problem. That is straight up a booking problem. You like Britt Baker is one of their best characters. Big Swole is incredibly over with the crowd. Um, you know, Allison Kay has been uh, doing a lot with the Dark Order. Um, you know, and and I just said this to Ryan the other day and like this, I don't think many people would share this opinion, but like Hikaru Shida actually doesn't really do it for me. I like kind of find a lot of her offense lacking and I don't, I really feel like if you had put the belt on Thunder Rosa or Serena Deeb or Britt Baker, Big Swole or even Penelope Ford or like I, they're just like other people that I feel like I would rather see champion at this point. Uh, it's not to say Hikaru Shida is bad. And, and like that's aside from the point also. Um, 
But yeah, I, I, mean, I completely get that, man. Like even even Rio has had some great matches, but I again, like, would I make her my first champion? No, no, it, I wouldn't. It, it I think, kind of feels like that's because Kenny is helping book the division mm, a little yeah, bit. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm not gonna. We're not gonna pretend that like that. That wouldn't be a possible story. <laughs> that's kind of what that sounds like. And, and and like either and way, listen, like, like it's nothing against her. It's just like. Awesome Kong would have been my, I thought she would have been the, now it's up to her. I mean, I don't know, like, so it goes that, you know, she was hurt or something like that. That would have been a great first champion. Get an established name. Then you can have like, oh, like, you know, Awesome Kong could be like, I know this. Like, you know, I faced you in Japan all these years. Like, you know, you're a formal mm-hmm. opponent. Build it up that way. I wouldn't necessarily go with an unknown right away. You know what I mean? And I was I was actually cool with with Nyla's reign. Uh, I, I actually enjoyed it more than Riho's. Um but yeah, so I guess the the long short answer of that is like, if you say three years, that probably sounds about right. Like I will give AEW still being in its infancy credit and uh, having the women's the NWA women's championship there as a second belt for women to vie over, I think has really helped expand what the women can do a lot, hundred percent, like tremendously. And uh, Thunder Rose and Serena Deeb are two of the best women out there. And Serena Deeb has been an indie darling for well over, I think, ten years now. She's right. a vet, right? And it is absolutely. And then you can bring in some of those more like established indie women wrestling as names like uh, Allison Kay, who's already been featured on a couple of AEW shows. She's fucking awesome. I think she's in yeah. TNA though. And she's in Sienna, right? Hmm? Say again. Does she still work as Sienna in uh, TNA? No, I think she's Allison Kay. Okay. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong though. She was, she had a great couple of runs in TNA as Sienna. And then, but then you got Marty Bell and you got a couple of these g- women that have been featured in an NWA. And like, I was impressed with all of them from what I watched. So, yeah. And I'm sorry, I, I need to correct myself because I'm a fucking idiot. Um, when I said Allison K before in a dark order, I was referring to Anna J. That's my, that's my okay. apologies. But, but, no, but, my even, point, Anna, but, but even Anna J. And like, you know, um, my point stands like Anna J is good. Like Taya Conti yeah. uh, is going to be taking on Serena Deeb next week week or in a couple days for the nwa women's champion like having that belt there has been really helpful for the division but i really would like to see more non-title related stuff happening and i i i I think that it's getting better but it's gonna take a while and i don't have as much patience for it when i see how much time we give to like cody and and team taz and like it's not to say that those people don't deserve time but like we can get some extra matches here, and I wish that we would because that is not the roster's fault. Let's see. I have a, let's have yeah. I just squeaked like a motherfucker there. <laughs> let's uh, let's see. Let's uh, <laughs> let's, let's see. see. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, just give it time. I mean, like we're all impatient with it. This is this is something that me and Damien have discussed a few times now. This is certainly something that's been discussed within the wrestling community, to, despite the uh, the way that people talk about women's wrestling. But look at it this way. The first time I saw Bailey, I was like, dude, who the fuck is this? And now she's one of my favorite like women's wrestlers. So just just allow them the not so, sort of give it time, but like allow them to give the opportunities to individuals who are going to rise and but take it because that's but the that only way cl- the division's going to change. But that clock is ticking. And if you don't give them the time to do mm-hmm. that. Yep. then nobody ever breaks out from the from the must and that's Very just true. how it goes. So that's a that's a great question uh Gina from Astoria uh you know if you ever want to give me a ring sometime hook up that'd be you know give me a shout. Should we take uh, one more here? Yeah, we we do two more. Two more. Okay. 
All right. So, our next question comes from Will and Belmore. And Sir William X, with TNA now working with AEW, do you think there's more of a chance of WWE working with ROH and or New Japan? Or do you think they'll work with AEW even at one point? Or is it just always going to remain as separate entities? Well, that is the million dollar question, isn't so it? So let's, right? let's, let's structure this in three parts. Give me the probability of each three. ROH, New Japan, AEW. All right. So right in this moment in time, the likelihood of WWE partnering with AEW is non-existent. Zero. You might as well you, you, you might as well go try to find Santa at the North Pole. I don't see that happening for literally any time in the next uh, five years or longer. And and I really feel like things there you would have to see a radically, radically different landscape before I could ever see that. Were you surprised that Triple H reference like even bothered to reference that? Where you think he was just doing lip service? No, I think that that's a smart business answer because it gets people excited for a possibility of something, and like it, it lets it lets the world know that like you know, and like Triple H loves doing that shit because Triple H isn't Vince, right? And that's the big thing is when does Triple H take over? And you know, he's just like setting the stage for what he wants his his you know CEO career to be whenever that happens. Um. So it, chances of, of teaming up with AEW right now, non-existent, and I don't know why either one of them would want to. Uh, New Japan, I mean, the last time you, I, I wouldn't call this a partnership, but like, you know, I mean, Liger did show up in NXT. Uh, Liger is like kind of a a rare example of that, though. Um, I don't think they've really worked together in any meaningful way since like the early nineties because primarily new Japan partnered with WCW. So there was no, you know, I don't, I I think you'd have to go. I don't even know the last time they would have had a super card together because that super card with, with Ric Flair and Inoki, Ric Flair was an NWE. He was a JCP guy at that time. He wasn't with WWE or WWF. So I don't, feel like that i feel like maybe you could say that's slightly higher than them uh working with aew but again that may as well be zero like i don't new japan would not work with ww i'm not saying they wouldn't but i don't see that as likely um which means roh is the most likely uh but i don't know I, i mean have they in any way ever worked together before They've obviously got a shit ton of Ring of Honor talent, so I feel like they probably aren't happy with them. So as far as I understand is that ROH was almost going to be what NXT is. Okay. They went they went that direction with the new ECW, but rumors have popped up from time to time, even as soon as a year ago, that uh, WWE was going to be doing tier subscriptions with the WWE Network, and within that would be Ring of Honor. Uh, like a daily show. Uh, first and foremost, the reason for WWE to be making that business decision would be to get ROH video library. Mm-hmm. And I think if it were not for in- what impact uh, being bought out by Anthem and being made into a legitimate player within the American wrestling scene, 
that eventually what it would happen with impact if it were to finally go under uh would be that it would just go to Vince's hands and all of TNA would be now on the WWE network. Uh, but the first thing you got to remember with this question is that even with all three companies, how is it going to benefit the WWE? Because that's the only reason why this is going to go down. If yeah. that, if WWE absolutely needs to now, again, we'll get the first question right out of the way. AEW zero, none, not happening. Let's see what the scene is 10 years down the road from now. I'll yeah. give you that because it's going to be a very different place if things unfortunately continue the way they do within the industry. And that's not, that's not within WWE itself. It's just that, you know, we're, going to, we're at a crossroads pretty soon. So we're going to see where that leads up to. So come back to us when we're, sell, we're doing our 10-year anniversary show from uh, Irving Plaza. <laughs> eh, anyway, so. Uh, Ring of Honor, you got to ask what Ring of Honor is doing at this point. I know they were trying to, you know, do some sort of a reformation with Marty Skrull. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that's, Everybody uh... saw how that went and he's not even in Ring of Honor anymore. So with that being said, I think Ring of Honor, like if NXT didn't exist and they wanted to do that third brand, sure, bring on Ring of Honor. It's a known name. It's been a mainstay of the independent scene for the last 20 to 30 years where they're at right now it doesn't really benefit wwe give me an nxt roh feud maybe if you want to look at it that way but i mean anything with the main roster almost non-existent um there was a report a year ago that uh dave Meltzer said that there were and this might have just been rumors but like ring of honor and wwe were maybe talking or like some officials were maybe talking about utilizing ring of honor in the way that they've utilized progress wrestling as like a way okay. for their lower card to have something to do. Uh, nothing obviously ever came of that. And WWE does not like when other wrestling promotions book Madison square garden, they consider that their home territory. And so when ring of honor did the G one super card with new Japan back in 2018 or 2019, uh, they were real fucking unhappy about that. So, you know, yeah, good for ring of honor though. So whatever. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> uh, you so, book MSG, but the last, the last thing I just wanted to give, I'm going to disagree with you on new Japan. And I've had this discussion before and people disagree with me, but okay, let me, let me explain it. New Japan working with WWE is probably, I feel at least, a better chance of happening than people want to give credence to. A, because if you go around the world outside of America, people don't say wrestling, they say WWE. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't say cotton swab, you say Q-tip. Uh, yeah. it's just, it's just a known name throughout the world. Mm -hmm. Um, now obviously I'm wrong in most aspects because the storylines, whether or not New Japan wants to recognize this or not, a good part of AEW lore and their storylines are built out of New Japan. And it's, it's hard. Fact, it's factual. It, it's hard to like not recognize that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like if like a third of the Attitude Era roster just started their own company and pretended like they never met each other before. You know what I mean? If Okada yeah. goes to AEW on Wednesday, they're going to say who he is. 
they're going to reference those matches in one way or another. And they might not rent, uh, they might not state New Japan directly, but like they're going to no, continue they, those storylines that they do. So if Okada showed right. up, you're 100 percent right. They would. Oh, my God, it's Kazuchika Okada had these matches with Kenny. Yeah, 100 percent. They would. But in terms of a business standpoint, I would be very hard pressed to not imagine New Japan brass wanting to choosing WWE over AEW. I think, and and a lot of that had to do with like former leadership, you know, under Harold Mage and other people who didn't like the way that the elite left, which is like its own separate conversation about Japanese work culture, where you're supposed to remain loyal to a company for your whole life, and that's obviously not the way it works here. And contract issues, and, and no, and, it does you know, not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does not. ABC, you know, whatever, but. That aside, like, I, I think that's probably a fair point that, like, they might be more willing to work with WWE than they would AEW in this current uh, frame. And uh, ultimately, it'd be a bottom line thing. You know, how do what do both companies get out of that? New Japan is actively trying to expand into America. Uh, WWE has been in NXT. There's been talks of an NXT Japan for years and years right. and years now. And of course, NXT has done the Beast in the East matches before. And so, like, uh, you know, some of the biggest gaijin uh, in the world for New Japan came from would now be recognized as WWE talent. Right. Uh, people like Hulk Hogan, Stan Henson, people who were not WWF talent, not who they would have been known for. But by at this stage of the game, you don't give a shit that Hulk Hogan was an AWA star. You don't give a shit that he was even in WCW. He's, he's WWE is who you care about at this point. Um so I, I think that's fair. But again, yeah. with with New Japan actively trying to break into America, I don't really see why they would choose WWE to partner with just because of how fucking territorial WWE is. Like, New Japan has no problem with AJPW and NOAA and Dragon Gate existing and doing their things, whatever, like, it's business. But, like, WWE would kill every other promotion if you let them. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. they don't care about anyone else right exactly which goes back to our first point of like it has to benefit wwe yeah but their again, guys are going over maybe it's just the wwe mark in me but like when i see tanahashi wrestling a match in america like i see it in wwe i'm sorry you know what i mean like that man just like despite never working a single second for them i could see him just absolutely killing it because that's just the consummate professional that he is yeah but like you know what i mean it's just like no, I, yeah. I i would if if i if he's facing one like you can make the argument for other individuals. Like, obviously, Ibushi, you have to see him in AEW. Yeah. Okada was actually backstage at a Monday Night Raw a couple of years ago. Um, But again, like, you know, like, we would be remiss not to get another series of matches with Kenny Omega. But, like, when you say Tanahashi, like, 100%, I see that man in a WWE ring before I see him in an AEW ring. Yeah, I, and Tana's style even works better probably in WWE than it would in AEW, so... Uh, but again, yeah. not impossible, but maybe if you think about some other things, it may make sense. But yeah, yeah I, I, Damien is probably I, right on this one. Yeah, that, that, and that's just that's what it is. Wow, we got some great questions here. Thank you. Good Will. job, everyone. Thank you, Will. All right, and this oh, will be the more. last one. We have one more. This will be the last one. One more. Uh, this, this one is coming from John in Philadelphia, the city of brother love. Right, that's that's their motto. They're the city of brother love. Mm-hmm. Yep, city of dude love. Um, they would like to know what is your favorite comedy wrestling bit, recent and all time. Um, 
Oh boy. Now that is, that's, it's tough to necessarily think of a specific bit. Um, now John mentioned what is one of my favorite bits, which is, um, the Breezango match against the Usos. Um, or actually, I'm sorry. He said it was the, uh, the sunburn match, the Breeze and Fandango sunburn match when they were both sunburned. Um, okay. So for me, the Breezango match against the Usos when Tyler Breeze came out as a janitor and then just like would roll from one side to the other so that the Usos couldn't like splash him is one yeah. of my favorite bits. Um, it is hard to think of. I mean, Kurt Angle hosing people down with a milk truck is like pretty fucking ridiculous. Um, that's a great comedy bit mm-hmm. that I really love a lot. Um, I loved uh, Okada's whole gimmick of like red hair balloon. I have nothing left in my soul now that I've lost the heavyweight championship gimmick. Uh, that's honestly, I feel like we underappreciate that level of Okada because he was just insane. And I feel like I haven't seen that level of insanity in a while. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to keep thinking, but what about you? Uh, three come to mind. One of them, uh, for sure is when Stone Cold was a heel, but he was kind of being like a sarcastic, like comedic heel. And he's singing backstage to Mr. McMahon. And then eventually uh, Kurt Angle gets added to the mix. See what I did there? And, uh, uh, sacrifice. He gives Stone, Stone Cold gives him like the little cowboy hat and like they're just going back and forth. And that eventually led into like the invasion storyline when like, uh, this is one of my favorite fucking promos of all time. Chris Jericho, The Undertaker, uh, Stone Cold, Vince McMahon, Kane, and Kurt Angle. And they're all backstage and Vince is trying to hype them up before the match. And he's like, I need you to be strong out there. And Stone Cold's like, be strong. <laughs> he's trying to make fucking take your corpse, dude. <laughs> it's so fucking good. Ah, uh, that's so goddamn good. Uh, another one that comes to mind is It's Your Life segment with the man- with Mankind and The Rock. Ah, uh, classic. It didn't work as well for Alexa Bliss and Bailey, but... No, but do, I, don't even mention that compared to this one, man. It was just <laughs> fucking amazing. When he brings out The Rock's supposed third grade teacher. And I totally yeah. bought that, by the way, as a kid, man. I was just fucking 100% into that. Um... A moment that definitely always stuck out to me that I love, I'll like go back and rewatch, was the whole little like maybe three episode top arc between Rock and Hurricane when Hurricane just showed up in his room and started making fun of him. Like the more he was like, oh, fuck, what was the rhyme? He was like, he he said something about Rock having a small dick. He was like, you got a tiny ding-a-ling and the Rock's fucking face just, <laughs> oh, oh, it's not, it's not, oh, like that yeah. was like Pete because that was like Hollywood rock and like Hurricane has always been one of my absolute favorite fucking wrestlers. Bro, always, I was always I was at Nassau Coliseum during that. Really? Yeah, dude, that the culmination of that feud when the uh, Hurricane went over the rock. I was it was at Nassau Coliseum. I was at that Monday Night Raw. Oh, that's so fucking great. Um. Yeah, I mean, of course, there, there's like countless like DX. I, I mean, yeah. there's that really good one with Shawn Michaels where like he gets pissed off at Triple H and he like grabs some random guy backstage. He's like, like, what's your name, Steve? Steve. And then he like super kicks him and then just starts running down the hall, super kicking everyone Stan. around. Just like you made me just super kick Steve. Stan. Stan. 
Stan. Do you know who Stan is? No. Okay. Well, keep that in mind, my friend. But oh, okay. one oh. comedy segment that people may not uh, think about or hearken back to, The Price is Right with Bob Barker and Chris Jericho when they were doing like, you know, the the infamous uh, le- uh, guest host period of Monday Night Raw. Mm-hmm. One of them with Bob Barker uh, during Price is Right. And uh, like Chris Jericho wins at the end and he gets pissed off that he won. And Bob Parker's like, you won. And Jericho's like, no, no, no. <laughs> it's, just, it's really good. Like there's an immediate chemistry between uh, Jericho and Bob Barker. Actually, Bob Barker was on an episode of uh, Talk is Jericho. And uh, it, it's really funny to listen to. That dude's like an absolute legend. But uh, yeah, that's definitely one. That's fun. And, and I guess like if I had to think like most recent, like, like recent things that I was like, oh, this is hysterical. Um, I really, really enjoyed the Mimosa Mayhem match, uh, with Orange Cassidy and Jericho. Yeah, like I thought the stadium no stampede doubt. was very funny. I thought, like, I, I just all throughout that match was very good with like Santana Ortiz in the pool, like not being able to like swim or like pretending to drown and like. Hangman meeting Jake Hager in the bar and like Jake Hager for once having personality like that was fun. And then, yeah, like, you know what the best part about it was? It was just like the term, you know what I mean? Because separately, the two individuals, one fucked with orange, orange juice, the other one fucked with champagne for the last year. And it just culminated into this nice synergetic worked. drink for a match. Um, and yep, so like, it, was, it worked it was perfectly. Nice. It worked perfect. And actually, you know what? I'm also going to give a special shout out to the most unique money in the bank match of all time at Titan Tower, because when Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles are fighting and then they fight into Vince's office and then just like stare at him and start like putting the office back together and like apologizing profusely um, once they see Vince in the office. That's also like that made me laugh. That whole match was very funny. Um, Those would be mine. Those would be mine. Wow. Hard-hitting questions here. Hard-hitting questions, uh, John from Philadelphia. Really making us nice. think. Um, oh, all right. I think that's... I love it. I think that's, I think that's enough uh, for tonight. Those are great questions. I would like to make this uh, recur once in a while. So uh, if anybody ever has anything that they would like us to talk about on air, please feel free to shoot either one of us messages, get slip into our DMS. Uh, you can go into our Gmail account in the details here. I don't remember it off the top of my head. I think it's filthy F and casuals. Leave me alone. Uh, but yeah, great job, everybody. Great team effort. Um, I love the right. segment. Yeah. Feel free to drop us a line. Cause I would love to do this again. Take us down memory lane. Yeah. So as we begin to wrap up here, Ryan, what terrible picture do you have for me today in this week's legend killer? You know what, Damien? Uh, I resent that. Uh, Second off, I didn't have one for you this week, believe it or not. And uh, you set me up, old bean. Oh. You set set me up perfectly. Okay. I, I love when this occurs organically. So- Damien, you referenced one of the most memeable uh, incidents in WWE in the last uh, 10 years. Well, no, it happened more than 10 years ago, but it's a very, it's a very popular segment that people uh, look back on, certainly on Reddit. And that is DX and the character Stan 
And Stan is actually a wrestler that you are not going to believe. Okay. I'm sending you the picture. Set, set, set me up. Now, Triple H tells Shawn Michaels he's on edge. He's like, I'm not on edge. I'm not on edge. And then a random WWE page walks behind him and he goes, what's your name? Stan. And then Shawn Michaels super kicks Stan. But Damien, you should have received the picture by now. If you would like to, have you received it? Yes. Okay. It's kind of, it's kind of hard Focus in on, it's kind of grainy. I'll send you another copy. Stan. Okay, th- this the, the way that Shawn Michaels just runs down the hall after just like throwing his hands up and yelling gibberish oh, yeah. while kicking people is so fucking good. Okay, here's a better quality of photo. Zoom on and stand. Who is he? All right. I don't fucking know who this is. All right. Um, his eyes look like they're hollowed out. Okay, I'm gonna take a like wild guess here like this is like this wild wild guess but i feel like i see something in the temples okay is that frankie kazarian no ah i felt good about that wasn't frankie kazarian in a popular wwe skit as a backup at one point i'm sure yes i'm not sure which one it was uh there's a couple instances like it which I will save because I need the bank. I need the, uh, this is way too long ago, but this also kind of looks like Ricky Starks. If you hold it far enough away, um, too young. All right. Give me, give me a hint here. Like what is, is the person still wrestling currently? Technically? No. And I guess that's a clue within itself. Like, like there was an injury. So right now they are not wrestling. There was a thing right now. They're not wrestling. That may be too. That may be too big of a clue for you. I don't know. Uh, do you hear my response? It's obviously not too big of a clue. I don't even know what that means. Um, okay. Okay. Right now they are not wrestling. Did they get me too? Did they, did they no, do a rape? No, not at all. Not at all. I'll give you a clue and then try to build it off this. They wrestled on okay. AEW in the past year. They wrestled on AEW in the past year as like a one-off or like they showed up a few times. A few times. They showed up a few times. All right, this skit happens in what, like 2002 or two? This is 2007. 2007, all right. So but between 2005 ago. and 2007. No one wants to listen for this long. Uh, he faced all right. Lance. No, all right, let's... let's yeah, I, I give up. I lost. You gave up? All right. What's what's 11 minus 1? 10? Is that is that Alan Angels? Wait, no, that's wrong. That's Mr. Sean Spears. Oh, it's the perfect 10? It's the perfect ten, Ty Dillinger. Uh, yep, and Sean now Spears. in the minute you said it, now now that makes sense, doesn't it? Yep. Yep. That's that's good old Ty Dillinger. That's how long he's been employed by WWE until he broke through in NXT because he was with that's OVW crazy. and Cornette always talks him up at, on on like one of his best workers, but he just never made it to the main roster. And then NXT came around and they finally got his chance. He seems like a guy that Cornette would like a lot because he is very old school in. His style, uh, I feel like. Yep. And whether or not like his character work takes him above, he's just like overall just a good worker and knows what he's doing. Yeah, I never really gave a shit about Ty Dillinger. Like in NXT, I never really cared that much. He was just a guy. 
Um, but I actually do enjoy Sean Spears' work in AEW. I, I I have enjoyed his work for a while now. Um, wow, 2007 though, that is wild. Was he like an original OVW guy? Like, was he like one of the first alumni? Uh, he was definitely he was definitely within the same time period when OVW was huge. Like when uh, Orton was there and Batista and Lesnar. Like he was definitely part of that crew. Uh, I think he was in the locker room when uh, Cornette slapped um, Santino, but uh, I don't know if he's a legend, but he's definitely part of that legendary crew, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that does make sense. Um, Also, I'm stupid because Alan Angels is not 10 in the Dark Order. He is five. Um, I think Preston Vance might be 10. Preston Vance is 10. Yeah. Is he he seven? What Preston or Alan Angels? Yeah, he's five. Five, okay. He's five. Was his fucking like, Slipknot? <laughs> uh, that's a fun one. That is that is a fun one. Good job, Ryan. Um, thanks. Good job, me for setting you up. Actually, it's, I'll take the fucking credit for that. <laughs> um, all right. So so we'll wrap it up here, Ryan. What have we been listening to as of late? Uh, lately I've been taking a taking a chill pill. Uh, the music, and I kind of went back to uh, some of my uh, more funky and uh, soulful roots. And I've been listening to one of my favorite bands that I discovered in the last couple of years, and that's Krungbin. Krungbin. Uh, particularly, huh. uh, just reminiscing on my favorite uh, album list of 2020, one of them was Mordecai by Krungbin. And okay. uh, they're they're really awesome. They are a mix of psychedelic, soul, funk, uh, and they sound like something that comes out of like a Tarantino movie. Man, they kind of like got like that. Just like I feel like I'm driving in the desert on like a hot summer night, and like you know mm-hmm. they they just have like this infinite jam going throughout. And uh, <laughs> they're really good. Two things I recommend from them would be their Tiny Desk concert from NPR. Uh, if you want to get into them. And then I would also recommend that Pitchfork did a live 30-minute set with them. That is just absolutely incredible. And uh, if you have a good stereo system or a good pair of headphones, definitely turn one of those suckers up because they are meant for that. Peak jam. Okay. Peak jams, baby. Uh, And anything else? Uh, As of right now, no. Okay. Um, So I've been feeling a little navel-gazy as of late uh, or to be more specific black navel gazy so i've been listening to a little bit of black gaze as of late which is black metal and shoe gaze uh one of my favorite variations on black metal so uh i've been bumping quite a bit of deaf heaven um think a lot of people that listen to th- that's probably the most well known of these bands um of course broke out with their 2013 monster of an album sunbather um, but that's not the album that I'm going to celebrate here. <laughs> Their most recent album, 2018, uh, ordinary corrupt human love really fucking weird. And like, to be clear on what black gaze is for like, it's, it's, you know, black metal lends itself very well to these like large atmospheric tracks, right? They, they tend to be very heavily layered. Um, the guitars are massive. They're all open chords. A lot of the time, a lot of tremolo picking, right? So it's very fast. Uh, the vocals are screamed. The guttural doesn't matter that much. It tends to have a lot of like synth and effects and shit like that. 
Uh, and so it works out well with shoegaze, just adding a bunch of reverb and delay. But Dev Heaven Tiana takes it a step further and has like very indie roots in their shit. Uh, and this album is just a continuation of that where like they go between these like hard as hell black metal tracks and then like fucking like fleet Fox level folky indie shit um, and like very classic Rocky. So really their best work so far, I think, even with respect to Sunbather. And then a kind of similar band, Astronoid. I think they're like a little more prog metal than Deaf Heaven, but um, their album Air, which came out in 2016, I'm a really big fan of. Um, same vibe, you know, if you're into like kind of fast, heavy, hits you in the feels music. Mm-hmm. Really, really enjoy them. And unlike Deaf Heaven, which is a lot of screaming, Astronoid is like all clean vocals, soaring highs, very... um very what's it called uh what's that fucking band god damn it whatever it's it's very it's very like it's very nice it's very nice to listen to have you ever listened uh, to alsay who alsay or alcest i don't believe so they're really good uh they're more in vain of like post metal and like post black metal okay kind of like um similar like Ma- agalock I like if they're going to put in a tree, like if, if like, uh, I don't know, like if you mentioned before, like flea foxes would be like the abnormal mixture to death. Heaven. Uh-huh. Uh, Godspeed, you black emperor is probably the additive. Okay. to. It's like in okay. vain of that, uh, more so leaning towards that direction, but, uh, really good. Um, their album, uh, Spiritual Instinct was one of my favorites two years ago. So uh, definitely check them out if you are on a big kick. Okay, cool. Yeah, Agalog is, is a lot like that. And Circus Survive is the band I was thinking of that airs vocals ah. reminds me a lot of. Okay. Uh, um, And then lastly, last last person I'll give a shout out to. Um, It's been a real fucking rough 2020. And the last high profile death, of course, belonged to MF Doom. Uh, MF Doom was, people may not know, a Long Beach resident. Um, he was born in London, but then like grew up in Long Beach, New York, my hometown. Uh, so of course going back and, and bumping MF Doom, MF Doom, one of the most unique, uh, dudes in hip hop, you know, um, very long storied career, always marched to the beat of his own drum, did a lot of kind of like, you know, free, like word association, just kind of weird fucking bars and, uh, you know, I'll give a special shout out to his his arguably greatest album, Mad Villainy, that he did with Mad Lib. Um, just this really great concoction of like weird fucking beats mixed with weird uh, lyrics and just uh, he was like 41 or 43 or some shit. It's just fucking I don't know, too many dead people. Um, really fucking sad, man. Yeah. And I know friend of the podcast, Matt Bresch is big on him as well. Matt um, and Travis, man, they both got me an MF Doom. Uh, just a legend was lost. Only him could like die, and then like two months later, people find out about it. Yeah, fucking two months later. Uh, yeah, real fucking sad. Uh, never really quite got the notoriety he deserved. But like for people that like hip hop, you know, he was yeah. a legend. Mm, food is probably his most recognized and most appreciated album, but then you also have Operation Doomsday. And, uh, you know, as you said, the stuff with Mad Villain. Mm-hmm. Really good. Uh, yeah. Um, we lost a legend. 
So we'll, we'll put that up as well. Um, all right. So that concludes another rousing, rousing episode here. So um, next week, next episode, we'll talk about the rumble um, and all that good stuff. And New Japan's sh- next show should be on the 17th. However, with Tokyo in a current state of emergency, we don't actually know what it's going to look like. So we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens from there. But uh let's all let's all get ready for the rumble because even in covid times uh this will be the first covid rumble too um so interested to see what it looks like it'll suck to not have that crowd pop for whoever they bring back but i'm sure it'll be a good time either way so for ryan it's kind of funny like there's gonna be no audience there you know what fuck it no no you already interrupted me so just fucking finish it go ahead (laughs) go ahead your thought was important I think it's going to be kind of cool um, because they're not going <laughs> to don't do this to me, man. <laughs> no, 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 no. Finish, finish, finish your thought. Oh, you're, I like the Royal Rumble and arena versus a baseball <laughs> stadium. <laughs> so I think it's going to be kind of neat to have that small crowd atmosphere. Even though there's going to be no crowd. It's going to be a fake crowd, but uh, yeah, the TVs, Ryan. The TVs will decide. Oh, <laughs> uh, fucking fuck you. All right. So for fucking chatty Kathy Ryan Doyle over here and for myself, this has been the most electrifying must listen podcast in sports entertainment, concluding our first ever episode of Talking Smack, which again, we came up with for the first time ever. TM, trademark, copyright 2021. This has been F F C.